our series in Philippians. So we began it um, quite a while ago in, uh, in June, actually, the middle of June, I believe it was. If we did our study of Philippians, we saw that one word pervaded our studies of Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. That word is confident or confidence. Paul begins the letter by writing to them in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul ends the book of Philippians with the same confidence in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. No, the word confident isn't there, but it's certainly implied. And between the confidence uh, of God completing and God providing, Paul reminded the church what they were engaged in, or who they were, sorry, who they were. They were saints in Christ Jesus. What they were engaged in, a partnership of the gospel. What God was doing, he was building his church. Who their example is, Christ Jesus. And to be confident in joy, confident in their persevering, confident in their love confident in their compliance, and finally, as we will see today, to be absolutely confident, to be absolute in confidence, absolute confidence. Our text is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. I would encourage you to turn there, stand with me as we would pray, and we would read from God's Word and hear what God says to us today. Would you stand with me, please, as I pray? Father, just to take the prayer that I often hear Alistair beg, that Lord, what we are not make us, and what we have not give to us, for the sake of Christ and the glory of his kingdom, amen. This is what God says to us today, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent, for me, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. We'll see four things today. Contentment, credit, conferring, and the closing. Contentment is something that is promised by God. God promises contentment. But it is so often seldom obtained by God's children. When fear, anxiety, and hysteria overtake our minds and our emotions, contentment can't take hold. It's impossible. We've given the real estate, as it were, to somebody else, to something else. Contentment is to be a practice of godliness. We must practice contentment. That's our first point is contentment. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, when you look at that, you'd say, wow, Paul, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? You finally revived your concern for me? Well, we need to look at the words a little bit better before we pass judgment, Right? The word you have revived, anathalao, is literally is a figurative extension of the meaning of anathalao. It means to bloom again. And it actually doesn't really occur in the New Testament in its true verb form. It means to be in a, in a state identical with a previous state. So now the Paul had mentioned that you had come alongside me, you have given to me, you have supplied my needs. Remember that Paul is in a Roman prison. Better translated would be this. I rejoice that after so long a time, you are again in a position to show your concern for me. That is a better way to state it. Uh, Paul's not saying, hey, you know, finally, you, you, you come through for me. Um, that's not his heart at all. Paul then says, not that I am speaking of being in need. He says, I'm not talking about my need. I didn't even talk about my needs. The word need is hyst- hysteresis. It means to need, a lack, or poverty. It's only found one other time in the New Testament. It's where Jesus is seeing uh, the people giving their money at the temple, and all the rich come, and they make a big show. Oh, yeah, look at it, Mr. Moneybags, and dropping it in so everybody can see. And then this poor widow who gives her two little pennies, her two little copper coins, it says, and she puts them in the offering to God. And Jesus says this in Matthew 12, Mark 1244, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, her need, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus says that's the woman who went away blessed. Paul says, I'm not speaking of being in need because Paul, where he probably was in prison was not At least I believe, you can believe it doesn't matter. It's not something to fight over. I don't think he was in actual Rome at the time, but he was in a closer Roman prison. And depending on the severity of your crime, as a Roman citizen, Paul 
had the right to the basic rations, food and water every day, bread and water. He had that right. If you weren't a Roman citizen, if somebody didn't come and provide for you, you're done. If you were, like, really a super criminal, if people didn't provide for you, you were done. So he really didn't have a need. He had a need. I mean, I don't think the Romans were giving him filet mignon. (coughs) Excuse me. That's certainly not the case. (coughs) Well, man, excuse me. But he certainly had enough to survive. Was it certainly on a, a weight loss plan? Most likely. But Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need. Look what he says. <clears throat> For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned. Monthano, to be instructed, come to realize, learn through experience. So Paul's saying, essentially, I have a lifetime behind me of experiencing God providing for me and taking care of me. So I have learned through experience, which is really the best way to learn, The lessons usually stick much better when we learn through experience, right? If you go through the school of hard knocks, you learn your lessons, right? Um, He's learned this. It was at the end of his life where Paul was in Rome and ready to be killed by Nero that Paul writes to Timothy and he says this in 1 Timothy 6, 8, but if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. That is completely opposite of the American ideal. To be, have food and clothing, say, you know what, I'm good. Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am, through the experience, from the grace of God upon my life, of God being good to me, When from the outside it might seem like he's not being good, that he's actually withholding from me, he has given me everything. I've learned to be content. Paul tells them in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In other words, I know what it means to have nothing I know what it means to have everything. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Interesting that he contrasts those two, isn't it? It might make more sense to say, I've learned the secret of having to be in need, of how to deal with being in need. But if we learn the secret of how to have abundance? Because that the Bible says to have abundance is dangerous. Not that it's wrong to be rich, but if you don't handle it well, ooh, that's a snare to your soul, the Bible says. Paul says, I've learned, whether I'm poor or whether I have much, whether I'm in need, whether I'm hungry or I have plenty, I have learned the secret of place of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need, 
because I've learned how to be content. Autocares. Sufficient in oneself. Now, we might say, whoa, what do you mean sufficient in yourself? You're in a Roman prison. You can't do anything for yourself. Matter of fact, you're chained to another guard. There's nothing you can do for yourself. Paul is actually using here a play on words. Within the area of Philippi, the Stoics were the leading philosophers. And in Stoicism, it's you're, to be self-sufficient was to be the highest. To, to have no need to say, well, I've learned to be sufficient. I know how to take care of myself. I don't need nothing from no one, right? To use uh, New Jersey language. Um, and Paul is making a play on that. He says, I've learned how to be content, to be self-sufficient in myself. But it's actually a play on words because it doesn't mean he is self-sufficient with himself because look what he says next. In verse 13, a very famous passage that I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. We've seen this verse. Perhaps you've seen it with the guy weight, lifting weights. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and we put it into so many contexts that, that it, it, it just simply does not fit. It, it's not how it was meant to be used. That I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pass this test because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, guess what? If you didn't study and show yourself faithful, don't expect Christ to come through for you. Right? You're on your own. But we claim this promise, or many within the church do, who are false teachers who don't understand what it means. What Paul is saying is, I have learned that I'm actually not self-sufficient within myself. That I am completely, 100% dependent upon Christ. And if Christ does not strengthen me, I'm done. I'm done. But I've learned over my lifetime, Paul says, that Christ strengthens me time and time and time again. He comes through. Pat, you may not know when, and you may not know how, but he will what? Do it again. That's the pattern that Paul has seen. That's the pattern that all of God's children, if they're honest, have seen. And so no wonder contentment is often fleeting because we get all worked up and we're all freaking out because the bank account is this and oh, the, the diagnosis is this. and yeah, Those are things to be concerned with, yes. Those are things to make proper action in. I mean, don't be stupid with your money. Don't be stupid with your health. Don't eat vegetables either because God says not to. I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? But learn how to trust in Christ. Paul. When you read in Corinthians all that Paul went through, beaten this many times, he was putting in the Roman Colosseum, he says he faced wild beasts. That only means one thing in Rome, that they told him to go out there and fight the tiger, right? And God got him through. Somehow God got him through. He was shipwrecked, he was at sea, he was this, he was that. He knows, he says, I've been through it all. 
In all of these things, I've learned one thing. That I can survive in this situation. That I can make it. That I can have the right mindset. That I cannot let hysteria overtake me. I cannot let my emotions overtake me because I know one thing. Christ strengthens me. And what kind of strength does Christ give? When he says, through him, through him who strengthens, endonamo literally means when he strengthens, it means he causes him to be able. Christ causes Paul to be able, causes you and I to be able. R. Kent Hughes puts it this way in his commentary. Paul is confident that he will be divinely strengthened to do anything and everything that God calls him to do. There we go. Paul is confident that he will be divinely strengthened to do anything and everything that God calls him to do. Are you confident that God will divinely strengthen you to do anything and everything that God calls you to do? Am I confident of that? Suppose there's something in your life, the way you think or the way you're doing something, whatever it would be, I'm not saying it necessarily has to be sin, but God has been telling you, you know what, you need to work on this, God, do this, do this. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to begin a series on Christian doctrines. Is God telling you, pray? What does it mean to pray? And then we like, well, we try, and then we, you know... No, if you move on it in faith and believing, God will divinely enable you to talk to him. You understand what I'm saying? Paul is saying, God enables me to do it. And we need to practice contentment. It is a mindset. It's a mind, it's a mind, we'll say, I don't like the situation. No, I don't. I mean, does Paul think he's, we think of Paul's going, you know, praise God, I'm in a Roman jail and I'm cold. Because remember, he says, hey, Timothy, when you come back, bring my cloak with me. Right? Because I'm, I'm cold, I'm hungry. Yeah, I have what I just, I, bear, I need, and I can be content there, but I'm not thinking he was rejoicing up and down. But he says, Christ is going to get me through it. And out of him being in this position, he says, you know what? Instead of focusing on what I don't have, let me focus on these people, the people of Caesar's household, who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, his focus was not on himself. When we focus on ourselves, we make it all about us. And I think it makes it impossible for Christ to strengthen us. Because he's saying, you're taking me out of the equation. You're putting yourself there instead of me. Put me there. Do what I ask you to do. What I empower and I strengthen you to do. And if you do that, guess what? This problem won't become so big. It won't seem so insurmountable. It'll be for you actually one day when you look back, you'll say, I thank God that that happened in my life. Has anybody ever done that in your life? Look back and say, you know what? I thank God. Yeah, I didn't like it, but man, when I look back, I say, you know what? Thank you, God, for allowing that in my life. Even though at the time, I wasn't particularly thanking you. 
Jerry Bridges says this in his book, uh, Pursuit of Godliness is what we're doing on uh, Saturday mornings with the men. On contentment, he says this, the contented person... The contented person experiences the sufficiency of God's provision for his needs and the sufficiency of God's grace for his circumstances. It should come up on the screen. I thought I put it in. Maybe not. The contented person experiences the sufficiency of God's provision for his needs and the sufficiency of God's grace for his circumstances. Boy, I like that, because it's true. When Paul says he's learned to be content, because Christ enables me, Christ strengthens me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what kind of strength, what kind of power is he talking about? It's talking about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Listen again what Paul wrote earlier in the book in chapter 3. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Surpassing worth. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So even Paul knew that his very salvation, he could not be self-sufficient in. It has to come from outside of me. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. It was knowing Christ and the power of of his resurrection. That's what enabled him to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How often, well, if you're like me, I'm going to move all my pieces on the board and then say, hey, God, would you bless this? As opposed to saying, God, what piece do you want me to move? What should be my next move, God? What would you have me do, God? And God, what will you empower me to do? Contentment means that I realize it's in Christ and in Christ alone. Paul then says in verse 14 to 16, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. It says, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. <clears throat> Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So this church had a habit of helping out Paul. Paul was dependent in ministry upon people giving. If people didn't give, He either went and worked as a tent maker or did work. He worked with his own hands. Matter of fact, to the Corinthians, he said, you know what? I'm making sure I'm making nothing from you proud people. I'm going to work with my hands and provide for myself because he didn't want to add to their arrogance, their proudness. But he accepted from the Philippians. And here's something we need to know about the Philippians. 
They were poor. They didn't have a lot. And they said, you know what? We're willing to give because this thing is so important. This thing is so true. And we're willing to partner with Paul at a sacrificial cost to ourselves. That you know what? We're going to give up something. We're not going to have the best. You know what? To, to use, you know, you, you hear me say it all the time, that I'm going to shop at Walmart and not Macy's. Right? There's a vast price difference between the two. Now, I know poor Robert here works for Macy's, and we don't want Robert to be out of a job. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Can you learn to be content with something less than Gucci? Or whatever? I don't even know what's popular anymore. I don't, who knows? You know, I would wear carpenter jeans and a T-shirt the rest of my life if it was okay. Um, Paul, they're saying, we're willing to sacrifice. He says, no one else, no one else did, but only you did. And time and time and time again, you did it. And so Paul is so thankful. And he says, you know why? You, you, you know what I really want out of this? Paul says, I want you to have credit. I want you to have credit. He says, not that I am seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. <clears throat> What's he mean by that? Paul's saying, I didn't ask for anything. I don't really need anything. But if you're going to give it, this is what I want out of it. I want God to recognize you in it. Paul was more concerned about their spiritual credit than his own needs. That's how Paul was. Gordon Fee, in his commentary, writes it this way, their gift serves as evidence of fruitfulness that will only gain interest towards their eschatological reward. What's that mean? When they die and they go to heaven. Remember what Jesus says to the disciples and to the crowds. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Moth and rust, they're not there. They can't do anything to it. That's where you store your treasure. Put your credit there. And that's what Paul is saying for them. Hi, man, I want the credit to go for you. And so when you stand before God, you Philippians, when you stand before Jesus Christ, he's going to say, you know what, man? You took care of Paul, my servant. Only you. And, and, and they're not even doing it. He says, make sure you don't do it so you hear. Just do it because you love God so much. That Paul is in this pointing back to them saying, you know, I count my life as nothing. Hey, count your life as nothing. If only you may know Christ Jesus. And if that's the, the mindset, everything else will just pay off in, in extreme dividends. Paul says, I've been content. I want you to have credit. And I want you to know that there's going to be a conferring for you. A conferring. Verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply 
Is there any, anything there that we should say? I wonder what he means by that. Does, it, does he mean God will supply every need of yours? Yes. God will supply my God. Why does he say my God and not your God? Because Paul is going back to what I've learned through experience. My God, which inference is also your God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> the word will supply, playru, which playro play, play means to fill, means to provide fully, supply all need, fill completely. And it's a word that is in the future text, the future tense. It's going to happen. It's active. It's real. Um, and indicative. It's an action that's actually happening. Probably the truth is God is fulfilling all of our needs, and we don't even realize that He's fulfilling our needs. God has promised us, through His Word, that He would supply all our needs. Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? Does anybody here today have wants? I have wants. Right? I, I, there's a lot of things I want. I want a brand new truck, a Dodge 2500 Cummins diesel. That's what I want. If anybody wants to, everyone has one laying around, I would be greatly blessed. Um, I want a lot of things. It's not what it means. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We need to understand the mindset of what David is saying here. That if I'm doing and following the Lord and I'm making him number one, then what he wants is what I want and I'll have no wants. What's the psalmist say? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How is God able to make grace abound to you? So that you would have what? All sufficiency in all things at all times. Again, is there a time in which God's not going to come through? The answer is no. But notice what Paul says. My God will supply every need, of your, every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Here's the key. Here's what he's telling them. That it is the very essence of God Himself has, supplies all your needs. Jesus Christ is glory. In Him is every good thing. In Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. He's telling them, say that in God's very essence, who is glory, who lives in this unapproachable light, and as Creator, He is able to provide everything you need. It's in His being. It's His nature to provide for His children. It's in His nature to give 
the best to his children. God is not stingy. You know who's stingy? You and me. We're stingy with God. God is not. It's in the glory of God in Christ Jesus. It's the very same understanding of which Abraham, after he rescues Lot and Melchizedek comes and he visits them. And in Genesis 15, 1, it says this, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. If you were with us on Sunday nights, well, tonight we're at the circle, but I would ask you to come Sunday nights. As we went through Genesis, we saw that what is actually said is, God is saying, I am your shield, your protector, and your very great reward. Abraham, you want to know something? I, me, myself, am your reward. I am able to give you everything you need. Me and only me. Jesus says the very same thing. In telling of the parable of of the talents and those who were faithful and those who weren't faithful. And Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 23. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, lest we get the picture of Jesus standing at the pearly gates, because it's not going to be Peter, it's going to be Jesus. And enter into the joy of your master. We have this idea that Jesus opens the gate and says, enter into the joy of your master, all that is mine. Now what Jesus is saying, enter into the joy of your master, me. I am your joy. I am everything for you, me. That is what God is saying. Do we really believe that, church? Do I really believe that? I struggle at times to believe that God really is going to be able to supply all of my needs according to His glory in Christ Jesus. How many times have you been in need and, and worry and been like, you know what? <sighs> right? And, 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 and you're trying to trust God, but, but you... Uh, I, there's times I open up the, you know, you get, you get a letter that it's not junk mail or a bill, right? And you got a letter from somebody. And, and listen, I'm just talking from experience, right? From my own sad experience, right? Here's the mail, here's, here's the junk mail, and here's the bill. Here's, ooh, I got a letter from so-and-so. Let me open up. And you're not caring to read what's in the letter. You're hoping there's a check in it. Is anybody else there? Am I, the, am I that bad of a person? Look, I'm getting, yeah, you are. Okay, you liars. You're all liars. Um, but you know what I mean. Where we're hoping God's going to, and you know what? So often God does, doesn't he? Doesn't God come through? I've shared many times this story, and it's just because this is how God is. <coughs> Where we paid all their bills, we had everything done, and Eileen and I are sitting at the table, and little Johnny's in his high chair, and, or his, his seat. He's not in a high chair. He's a little older. And I said, Eileen, the bills are paid, everything's paid, we're up to date, and there is zero in the account. There's nada, nothing. Groceries have been bought, the bills, the mortgage has been paid, everything's paid, we got nothing. Paycheck to paycheck. And Johnny says to me, Daddy, you're saying we have no money. I didn't even think the kid understood what I was saying. 
And by God's grace, by God's grace and God's grace only, I said, no, Johnny, we have an opportunity to trust God. And you know what happened the next day. You've heard the story a million times, probably tired of hearing it. $1,500 in bills went out. Somebody gave us $1,500. Is that normative? Not really. (laughs) So don't get all excited. Oh, I hope that happens for me. It may, it may not. I'll pray that it does if you're in that situation. But I believe it was really, truly, it's more the mindset, you know what, we can trust God. If I didn't really trust God, why would God come through for me? You know, right now, in our world, things are tough financially. We told you that, you know, the church is, it's, you know, hey, people have moved. Prices are high. And I'm not here to, I'm, listen, I'm not here to, to rag on you about money. You know I can't stand to do that. I'll tell you time and time again, it's not about the cash. It's not about that. That's just, that's just, an, an, uh, that's just something that shows what's on the inside. Money is just, uh, what you do with money, it tells you what is happening inside your own self. And that's only between you and God, between me and God. But God, God says this to the children of Israel, and He says to us in the book of Malachi this. I don't know how we trust God. He says this. He says this. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Good start. You know what? Thank God you don't change. Because if you changed, if you were capricious, He would send down fire, and He would lick us up like uh, the fire that uh, came to Elisha in the altar. Right? It would be nothing left. And God would be right to do that. But he does. He says, I don't change. From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? God asked the question, will man rob God? And they're, they're sitting there perplexed. They're going, what do you mean will a man rob God? They say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Well, says, you've been stingy with me. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and therefore, and thereby put me to the test. Now, let me stop before there be food into my house. We need to understand how the temple worked. If the people did not bring contributions, the priests would never get paid. And if the people didn't bring certain sacrifices, the priests would never eat. The priesthood was absolutely dependent upon the giving of the people. Now, you might ask, where is he going with this? Well, truth be known, I and my family are, and Len and his family are absolutely dependent upon your giving. There's no question about it. You don't give, we don't pay our bills, and we don't eat. Now, I'm not here to go, oh, poor, you know, I'm just letting you know, it's still that way today. And God's saying to the children of Israel, He goes, I've given you a priesthood. Their responsibility is to instruct you and teach you in the Word of God to stand between you and me. That's what's their job. 
Now we don't have the same job. I'm not offering sacrifices for you. But my job, Len's job, and, and the other pastors, Mike and John, don't get paid. But their job, our job, is to declare to you the fullness of God's word. In order for us to best do that, it's best that we don't have a job, that our job be this, just so we understand. God says, bring it into my house. But God's not saying you're robbing the priests. He says, you're robbing me. He says, bring it in. Trust me fully. Bring it in. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What a great word picture. It says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Now again, the context of what he's saying. Agrarian society. Trust me in this. Be obedient to me in this. And I won't let bugs, pestilence, blight, mildew, whatever, destroy your crops. Destroy your great or anything like that. He goes, they're going to flourish. Because guess who's in charge of all insects and everything? I am. And if you're faithful to me, I'll make sure that it's, it's taken care of. The principle is this. The best way I could put it is this. And this is the challenge for you and for me and my family also. It's not a pleading for money. This is all between you and God. Because quite frankly, there is no standard for giving in the New Testament other than it is to be way better than the Old Testament standard. Old Testament is 10%. New Testament is let it hurt. Let you feel it. Why let you feel it? So that you can watch God work. That's it. Because listen, sacrifice. Do it because this is how I worded it. When we rob God, we rob God of His glory. When we fail to live sacrificially for Him in time and possessions, God's glory and blessing are realized when we have full and complete confidence in Him. When I can say Gas is this much. Food is this much. We got all this. It's this much less. I have the tithe check or whatever you, whatever you purpose in your heart to give, and I hope it's joyfully. And you say, you know, really, I could take some of this and put it over here, and God will understand. I think God is saying, you know what? No, I don't understand. Because if you give this out of my glory, I'm going to give you something so incredible. And it may not be material. 
It may be something far better than a physical possession. He may come through with the, and praise God if he does, and praise God if he comes through with both. And he, he usually does. But it's not a means of manipulating God. It's a means of saying, you know what? I want to see your glory. I want to experience the fullness of you. I'm going to trust you. And yeah, you know what? I'm a little fearful. And you may even say, as as the man said to Jesus about his son, I believe, help my unbelief. And God will be faithful in that. And God says, you watch. I will open the gates of heaven. And I'll pour out a blessing on you. Jesus says in another place, I'm going to give you a good measure, pressed down, shaken, spilling over. You You won't even be able to understand it. You won't be able to just take it all in. It'll be too much. It'll be too overwhelming for you emotionally what I will do. Again, it may be just spiritually. And God will help you to adjust to a lifestyle that will, will, will make you glory in Him and go to depths in Him that you've never had before. It's not about the actual money. It's about the heart. But how often we wrestle in those areas, don't we? Because we know this, at least from our perspective, this brings an immediate sense of security. I have X amount of dollars. I have this here. I know this is going to work right here. When I chump out into faith and trust, especially if I don't have a habit and a pattern of doing it, then it's a little like, I don't know what's going to happen here. No, jump out into that. Because it's not a blind, stupid faith. It's a faith that Paul says, I have learned in every circumstance. Just try God. Test God in it. Not so that I'm going to have every paycheck made. I'm not saying that either. Because I care, the pastors here care, of what's going to be to your spiritual credit. That we would grow in this. And, you know, if we are unfaithful in the little things, what would make think God's going to make us faithful in big things? The prophet Jeremiah is... is is given really an impossible task. You read the book of Jeremiah, God says to him, you know what, Jeremiah? You're going to be a prophet. I'm going to send you to give a message, and the people are not going to listen to you. But go and tell them anyways. I'd be like, God, like, what's wrong with you, God? Really? You're setting me up for failure. No. God was setting Jeremiah up for this very thing, that he would experience the full provision of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And at one point, Jeremiah says to God, he goes, you know what, I'm done. God, please, I can't take anymore. And God says this to him. And this is the challenge that God gives to us. If you've been in any way, whether it's financially, whether it's spiritually, moving forward in Christ, and you're you're like, you know what, I, I, I can't take the battle now. I'm so overwhelmed with everything. Because that's what Jeremiah was saying. God says this to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 12, 5, he says, If you have raced with men on foot and have wearied, and they have wearied you, 
How will you compete with the horses? In other words, God's saying, you know what, you know, uh, Jeremiah? If men are wearying you out, what are you going to do when there's a real battle? This isn't even a real battle, Jeremiah. What are you going to do? If you can't hack this, you think you're going to make it, you know, quote-unquote, to the big leagues? He says, and if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Again, it's the same word picture. If, you, if, 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 you're, if you're asking to hold back and saying, I can't go anymore and I can't, I can't move on in trusting you in a safe place, what are you going to do when it becomes hard? And for us, it's going to get hard. That if we can't trust God with the issues of our money and our time and be found faithful in that, what's going to happen when, because the Bible says it will happen, when you have to stand before man and make your allegiance either to man's government or the kingdom of God? If you're not standing in finances, if you're not standing in time, if that's wearied you, you think you'll stand? You think I'll stand when there's a real test? That's the question God is asking. And so church, for us, to learn how to be content in all things, knowing that God will supply all of our needs according to the glory in Christ Jesus, I encourage you, I encourage me. Press on. Press in. Trust God in His Word. Be faithful. Give sacrificially time and possessions. And watch what God will do. You know what God will do? He'll supply all of your needs according to His glory in Christ Jesus. And then Paul closes his letter like this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of, the C- of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul basically ends this way. Love each other because Jesus loves you. And so, loved ones, I hope we're challenged. And I hope we'll accept the challenge and watch what amazing things God does in and through His faithful church. Let's pray. Father, thank You for who You are. Thank You that You are a God who provides above and beyond what we need. Thank You that You glory to give us the best. You know with good thing, no good thing does He withhold from those whose heart is upright towards Him. Lord, help us to have our hearts upright towards you for the sake of the glory of Christ Jesus and his kingdom we ask it. Amen and amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing, My God is Able.
sing with joy to our God. God is able. God is able. He will never fail. He is almighty God. Greater than all we see. Greater than all we ask. He has done In his name we overcome For the Lord our God is able Is with us God is with us God is on our side. He will make a way. Far above all we know. Far above all we hope. He has done great things. Lifted up. He defeated the grave. Raised to life. Our God is able, in His name we overcome, for the Lord our God is able. He's with us. God is with us, He will go before, He will never leave us, He will never leave us, God is for us, He has open arms, He will never fail us, He will never fail us, lift it up, He defeated the grave. Praise to life, our God is able, in His name we overcome, for the Lord our God is able, lift it up, He defeated the grave, praise to life, our God is able, in His name we overcome, for the Lord our God is able, for the Lord our God is able, for the Lord our God is able. Amen. Glory to his name. Our God is able. God bless you all.